You're listening to the One Hope Church Podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. We are continuing in our Friendship with God series as we've been working through John 13 to 17, verse by verse here the last uh, few months. And, um, you know, it's been going pretty pretty well so far, pretty positive so far, lots of um, kind of good, awesome, cool things that Jesus is talking about. But today it takes a little bit of a turn. Uh, it's almost a hinge point of the entire teaching. And so I want to start by asking you guys this question. If, if the disciples knew everything that it would cost them to follow Jesus, if they knew that all up front, do you think they still would have said yes? You ever thought about that? If the disciples knew up front everything it would cost them to follow Jesus, would they still have said yes? Now, they suffered persecution. You can read through the book of Acts. Every one of them was martyred for their faith with the exception of John. And that's not because they didn't try to kill him. They did. He just survived. And they literally lost their lives for Jesus. Do you think they would have said yes? Some were crucified and some were stoned. Some were beaten with clubs. Some were run through with a spear. I mean, pretty brutal. And we ask ourselves the same question. If we knew everything it would cost us to follow Jesus beforehand, would we still say yes? Now, I don't know about you, but since I started following Jesus, some things happened that I didn't think should happen. Some forms of suffering, um, unexpected things, a path that we choose that, that cost us something. If we would have known, would we still say yes to Jesus? And of course, the question really isn't, what would it cost us? But in the end, what will we gain? Right? Because where are the apostles now? Where are the disciples now? They are sitting in the presence of the Lamb. And they are experiencing eternal joy. And they are more alive now than they ever were. So what did they gain by following Jesus? It cost them a lot, but what did they gain? They gained eternal life. And so here's what Jesus is going to ask the disciples today. It's a stark turn. He's basically going to say this. Are you ready for the world to hate you? Are you ready for the world to hate you? And by extension, we can ask ourselves the same question. What are you ready for as we are following Jesus? So we're going to be in John 15, verses 18, and we'll go all the way to 16, verse 7 today. You can go there in your Bible, and I'd encourage you to go there. We've had some tech issues. Maybe you noticed. So we got, uh, by the way, song lyrics on your chair if you need them. So open up your Bible and follow along. I always want you to see this for yourself. Look at the words yourself. Underline, circle, whatever that is. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll get going into this scripture. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for Jesus, that he teaches us not only the glories of following you, but he teaches us the truth and the difficulty, and the cost of friendship with you. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd come tonight and you'd minister to us through the power of your word and the presence of your spirit in our hearts. We invite you. Nothing I say will matter unless, Holy Spirit, you come and you minister. And so come, Holy Spirit, do your work on us. We love you. We praise you. We give you this time and ask you to work. In your name, Jesus, and by your spirit, amen. Well, if you are here last week, we got to talk about the glorious love that God has for us. And we said that God the Father, God loves us with the same intensity that he loves the Son. 
And it's this amazing truth to really sit in the inner Trinitarian love and joy that they experience. God says, I love you with that same intensity. And then, of course, he calls us to love God in the same way Jesus did by following him and then to love one another. And today he comes and he says this in 1518, right on the heels of, I've told you these things to love, to love one another. He says this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you're just reading, they go, wait, wait, what is, wait a second. What is this about hate? I mean, we were just talking about God himself dwelling in us. You're telling us that God loves us greatly, that, uh, that you're going to give us your peace and you're going to give us your joy, all these good things, right? This is the good life, right? What is this thing about being hated by the world? What, what do you mean? This is unexpected. What do you mean we're going to be hated by the world? Why would the world hate us? And he tells us, well, the world is going to hate you because it first hated me. And the world hates Jesus because the world hates God. I say, well, that's, that's pretty stark. Hate, that's a strong word. Do you mean hate? That's, that's what the word is. The, the word for hate here in Greek means hate. It's a strong word intentionally. You say, I don't, I don't, the world doesn't hate God, does it? I mean, it's not really that bad, is it? Let me just talk about what does John mean by the world here. When John uses the word world, it's the word cosmos. He doesn't mean the universe. He means a specific understanding of the world. And basically he means all those who are in moral rebellion against God. In fact, it's unbelievers are the world. That's what John means by the world. Those who don't love God, don't know God, don't follow God, don't really care about the things of God. And he says, the world's going to hate you because it hates me because it hates my father. Look at verse 23 in chapter 15. He says this. He makes this connection. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But they now, uh, but now they have seen and hated me, both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Now, Jesus here is talking about the religious leaders. And he says that they hated me. Now get this, Jesus came to his own people, the people of Israel. These were the people that were supposed to get it, supposed to recognize God coming in the flesh, supposed to recognize the Messiah, right? If you read John chapter 1, it says light came into the world and he dwelt amongst his people, but they didn't know him. And this culminates in the religious leaders who are out to actively oppose, and as we know, will actually kill Jesus because they hate him, because they're threatened by him. We read elsewhere in the scriptures, well, what was wrong with the Pharisees? What was really their problem? Well, they had taken on the ways of the world. As John says in his, uh, his letter, the pride of life, life and the lust of the eyes. And so these Pharisees, we read in places like John twelve nineteen, talking about Jesus, says, look, uh, uh, the whole world is going after him. Or John 12, 43 says that they love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. Or in Mark chapter 15, Pilate himself says, he says, it perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest handed him over. And John eleven forty seven forty eight 48 says, the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? This man performs many signs. They saw the signs. They saw the wonders. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, they were concerned about their status, their reputation, their culture. They didn't know God. They didn't love God. They fell into the pattern of the world. And this is how the world works. It deceives us. 
and gets us to think that we're going after something that we really don't love. And so let's just get to it. Well, why does, why does the world hate Jesus? Does the world really hate Jesus? I mean, you probably know people, they don't say they hate. Nobody's saying, I hate God. Nobody's saying, I hate Jesus. But the way they live their lives indicates that they don't care about the things of Jesus. They don't love the things of Jesus. So let me read this quote because I think it captures it well from a, a pastor, theologian, Sam Storms. Here's what we mean by hate and the world. He says, they, the world, they are infuriated when they are told that this God has authority over their lives to tell them what is right or wrong. They don't want to be told that sex before or outside of marriage is sinful. They don't want to be told that drunkenness is forbidden. They don't want to be told that they must have no other gods before the God of the Bible. They don't want to be told to honor or worship, to not honor or worship or serve another God because that's idolatry. They don't want to hear about hell. They cringe at the suggestion that they are not the final authority as to what they can and can't do. They don't want to be told they must repent. They get angry when they are informed that there is only one way to be reconciled to God and forgiven of their sins, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. See, on the outside, they don't act like they hate God. They may say nice things about him, such as, well, of course I believe in the existence of a supreme being, but the supreme being that I believe exists uh, would never consign anyone to hell. The supreme being I believe exists would never tell a person they can't have sex with whomever they want. The supreme being that I believe in ex uh, exists will accept anyone so as long as they are sincere in their beliefs. See, these people hate God. The people who hate God may live outwardly civil, law-abiding, even religious lives, but inwardly, in the depths of their hearts, they want nothing to do with the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Is that not the spirit of our age, the spirit of our culture? Maybe even some of you are feeling some of these things. Offended, angry. I don't like that God. I don't like the God of the Bible. And I tell you, I lived this for a good portion of my life. I lived this way. I didn't think God had any authority over me or shouldn't be able to tell me anything that I could or couldn't do. And I tell you, that only led to despair and anxiety and a continual running on, the, running on the treadmill of life to try to reach some form of satisfaction or fulfillment. And then I met Jesus. And he saved me, and he made me alive. And it changed everything. See, that's the difference. We're talking about something that changes at a heart level. God comes in and fills you with the Holy Spirit, gives you a new heart with new desires, and all of a sudden you begin to love the things of God and not the things of the world. And this is why the world would begin to hate you because you no longer belong to it. So here's why the world hates Jesus. Jesus exposes evil. John 7, 7 says, The world cannot hate you. He's talking to his brothers. But it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. And here's what we always need to keep in tension. Jesus came and he told the truth, right? Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the perfect man. He's the model that we were all supposed to be. And he, came to, and he comes and he tells the truth about the world, that it's evil, that it's sinful, that it needs to turn and repent and come back to God. It reveals uh, what's in the darkness. At the same time, Jesus comes with grace, right? It's grace and truth. 
And our problem is we just want to go to one or the other of these. We want to be all about truth and not really love people, not be gracious. We want to go all the way to grace and not really talk about the truth. We see the world needs to hear both of these things. And this is the mystery and the power of the gospel that both of these are true. As Tim Keller says, that you are far worse than you ever dared imagine, but far more loved than you ever dared hope. That is the core of the gospel. And we see it right here earlier in John. And one of the most famous verses uh, in Scripture, John 3.16, listen to what it says. You know this. For God what? So loved who? The world. The same world we were just talking about that doesn't want anything to do with them. God loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. The world, the world, the world that hates God. Jesus died for them. Now here's, here's the point. Now here's the truth, okay? Verse 18, let's keep going. We like to stop after 316, but let's keep going. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. See, the problem isn't do enough good works or bad works. The problem is do you believe in Jesus or not? That's the key issue. That's the gospel issue. Do you believe? Do you trust? But he goes on. Here, here he goes. Here's the judgment. Verse 19. Here's what it's all about. Light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because what? Their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. That's why the world hates Jesus. He tells them the truth. But right on the heels of that truth is the grace of the gospel. And I'm here to rescue you. And I paid for that sin. I want to bring you to God. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. And I want you to live new lives, fulfilled lives, actually be alive. This is why the world hates Jesus. But there's another reason, a bigger reason. Or maybe not a bigger reason. Here's the reality. We are in a spiritual war. And there are two kingdoms. The kingdom of this world, which is ruled by Satan, which Jesus said in John 14, 30, the ruler of this world is coming. Satan. Elsewhere it says that the whole world is under the power of the evil one. And so this world, fueled uh, by the unseen realm of demonic and Satan and demons, is over and against the kingdom of heaven, which Jesus came to bring. And 2,000 years ago, he took that, beachhead and he established an army and he's been invading the enemy's territory for the last 2,000 years. That's what he's doing. He's plundering the strong man, as Mark 4 says. He's on a rescue mission to get as many as he can out of the world into the kingdom of heaven. This is what's going on. This is what we don't see. And here's what happens. Here's how Satan works. He deceives us and we don't even know what's going on. Now, here in the West, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, George Orwell and his you know, book, 1984, where he talked about the dangers of totalitarianism and censorship and that this is what is coming. This was his kind of prophetic uh, prediction. But there was another book written uh, a little bit uh, before that called A Brave New World by uh, last name's Hux Huxford. And he painted a picture of a different world. And I'm telling you this because in 1985, Neil Postman wrote a book called Amusing Ourselves to Death. And what he was making the point was, 
Here in America, we're not in danger right now of this 1984 totalitarianism thing. We're in danger of this brave new world. And what's going to get us is we are going to be seduced by pleasure and we're going to be so distracted that we're not going to see what's actually going on. It's really an amazing book. I read it a couple years ago and it just opens your eyes. We're just so driven and addicted to entertainment. Show me this, show me that. Keep me entertained. Show me a, a, a game or a movie or a Netflix or whatever it is that we don't see what's happening. It's a tactic of the enemy. And, um, and he wrote this in 1985 when they had this thing called television, which was a big deal. And then the internet came. And then smartphones came. So what do you think, what do you think the enemy's doing? He is at work because we're all so distracted. Our culture is just distracted. Jesus comes to wake us up and he sends the Holy Spirit to wake us up. And this, honestly, this is why we need the word of God, right? This is true. This will tell us the truth. Culture's not going to tell us the truth. It's going to tell us what we want to hear. Tell us what others want to hear. This tells us the truth. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this world, there it is, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So we're in a spiritual war. The war hates God. Uh, the world hates God. The world hates Jesus. So what is Jesus doing here? Why is he telling them all this? He's telling them to prepare them for what's coming. Okay? Apt that the theme for Advent was preparation today. So why are they going to hate the followers of Jesus? Let's look at verse 19 and 21 of chapter 15. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember what I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do on uh, to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. They don't know God. And notice there, we have a lot of benefits from being in the name of Jesus, right? Union with the Father. We get to pray in the name of Jesus. It also comes with persecution because we're in a war because the world hates the things of God. So here's what he says. You're not of the world anymore. Something's fundamentally changed about you. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. And we're called now to be in the world, but not of the world. And many of us, I think we keep falling into being of the world rather than just in the world. And so we exist in this interesting metaphysical state, if I could call it that, that we're in Christ in the world. And when we get to John 17, he's praying this. He, what does he say? He's, I'm, not, I pr- I'm not praying, God, that you would take them out of the world. But I'm praying that you would protect them from what? From the evil one. Why? Because I've sent them into the world. For what? For the same mission that I'm here for. We're not of the world anymore. So you have to ask yourself, am I living as someone that is of the world? The second thing here says, you've been chosen. I chose you. I chose you. See, Jesus is on this rescue mission. He chose you. He's talking about the 12 here. He chose the 12. I guess the 11 by this point. But he chose you also. It's not about anything you did. This is God's sovereign choice. By grace through faith, you've been saved. That you might not boast. That's good news. There's nothing you could do to earn this. We gotta surrender it. We gotta submit it. We gotta receive it. 
Well, it's all based on believing in Jesus, believing in the gospel. It's the core of the gospel. And then he says this. There's two principles here. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they keep your word, if they keep my word, they're going to keep your word. And we've already seen that. So there's a positive and a negative thing to living with Jesus, living in Jesus. So what have we seen here? Okay, what have we seen? Jesus says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. The world hates the things of God. We're in a spiritual war, and you and I now are not in the world, but of the world. Sewara, what does that look like for us? What does that mean to follow Jesus? Well, we've already seen, if you love me, what does he say? If you love me, you'll do what I say. You'll follow my commands. You'll abide in my love. See, you ultimately can't love Jesus and not do what he says. And often we'll find ourselves in this trap. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, but my life is a mess and I'm doing really whatever I want. See, that's not discipleship. That's not friendship. Friendship is sharing the same desires, the same goals, the same uh, means to get what God has called us to do. So what is it going to cost you to follow Jesus? What has it cost you? Now here, we don't experience a whole lot of persecution, right? Maybe some of you have been parts in the world that you have. But in many parts of the world today, there is intense persecution. Specifically in nations uh, like uh, uh, where communism is reigning or Islamic nations. And if you don't know this is happening, you can pick up or go to the website such as Voice of the Martyrs or get their magazine and you can read about this. This stuff's happening today. But we're somewhat shielded from this because we have so much here. So what would that mean for us here in the U.S.? And here's what I want to say, and I'm, I don't want to be an alarmist here, but listen. There's a gathering storm that's happening in America. And it's been going on for some time. And I, I want to call us to, to, to not fall into this, I'm, I'm just being entertained, and I'm just watching this or that. We need to step back and look at what is happening in our culture. What are the shifts that are happening? And I think this really goes back to about 1950, right after World War II, which is one of the most catastrophic and heartbreaking you know, global wars. And right after that came the onset of the sexual revolution. 1947, something called the Kinsey Report was published. And it opened the door to all kinds of sexual perversion. It really was the birth of the sexual revolution. And that's just been going on for about the last 70 years or so. And you can kind of watch it, how it's progressed. Even into our own day, if you were listening, I think it was last week, where the Senate passed the so-called Respect for Marriage Act. And, and what that act is about is requiring uh, organizations, uh, workplaces uh, to affirm uh, same-sex marriage, uh, basically that. There are some other things thrown in there. Uh, and, and look, grace and truth, right? We're not here to, to kill anyone or beat anyone or throw signs at them about how God feels about them. But we do need to step back and go, what's happening here? Because this is just a stepping stone, in my opinion, for Christian institutions, colleges, perhaps even the church someday, to be required to follow an unbiblical view of marriage or face penalty or face persecution. Do you see what's happening? And it's just good for us to be aware. I don't even know that it could be stopped at this point. But I think a storm is, a storm is gathering, and we're going to need to be ready. 
How are we going to stand for truth? With grace. And I think it's not that far off. Let me just share Sam Storms. He, he puts this so well. He says this. Our power for living and choosing and loving is not the spirit of American society, but the spirit of God. Our value system is not dependent on Congress or the Supreme Court, but on the revealed moral will of God in Scripture. Our aim is not the fulfillment of the so-called American dream, but the coming of God's kingdom here on earth and doing his will, even as it's done in heaven. Amen? Now, if you want to learn more about this, um, I listened to a guy named Al Mohler. He's a well-known pastor, theologian. Um, he does this, I think it's five days a week, called The Briefing, where he just talks about what's going on in the world from a Christian worldview. I mean, I don't have time to read all the articles, right? I barely have time to watch the news. So he kind of scours it for me and tells me what's going on. I don't you know, agree with everything he says, but it sure is helpful to hear some of the things that are playing out that you may not be aware of. He also wrote a book called The Gathering Storm, which ties in a lot of these things. So it's just good for us to be aware of what's happening. And you know, you know what this all comes down to in the world and in our culture? Ultimately, for every one of us, it comes down to an issue of identity. Are we going to find our identity in Jesus? And who he says we are. And he says we're a new creation. Are we going to find our identity in something or someone else? Whom we marry. How we feel about our orientation. How we feel about... Um, our sexuality, whatever that is, how we feel about money, whatever that is, it always comes down to identity. And that's what we're here to do, is to share people grace and truth and invite them to come to know the Lord who has saved them and died for them and reconciles them into true life, into true living, into eternal life. So what is this going to cost us? Well, we may not know the answer to that yet. Except that we can be ready and be in his word and be praying. So the disciples, they experienced legitimate persecution and death. And maybe some of that's coming for us. So the question is, well, what are we going to do? How do we do that? Where do we find the power to live that way? And Jesus says, well, I'm going to help you. Look at verse 26 to 16, 7 here. He says, when the helper comes in whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said, listen to this, I have said these things to you now to keep you from falling away, to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, where are you going? Because what? Because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. And that sounds really hard. I don't know if I want to do this. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's preparing them for what awaits them. He says, I'm t I didn't tell you this from the beginning because I was going to be with you. And I had some things to show you. I wanted to see the, the power of the kingdom of God and the presence of God and what that looks like. I'm telling you now because I'm going. And you're going to experience the same thing that I experienced. Both the good. They're going to do signs and wonders and all kinds of great, wonderful things. And they're going to experience persecution. They're growing to be just like Christ. And so if we're following Jesus wholeheartedly, we should expect the same things. Sooner or later, if you keep following Jesus, you're going to experience 
persecution. That's what Paul says. If you desire to live a godly life, you will experience persecution. Now, I do want to say this. Whether or not the culture persecutes us, we have a spiritual enemy, and he's always after us, trying to afflict us and persecute us. Okay? So he says, Jesus says, I'm sending help, the Holy Spirit, and he's going to do what? Verse 26, 27, he's going to bear witness. Now think about this. This is in the midst of persecution. This isn't talking about, I'm going to go share the gospel with my friends, and the Holy Spirit's going to show up and, and bear witness to Jesus. Now, he does that, but that's not what this is talking about. He's saying, he just finished talking about persecution. What is your hope? The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you will testify about me. What about him? About that he's good. About that he's in control. But this isn't a surprise to him, that he's empowering you to suffer. That's why I said earlier that um, all this was happening with the religious leaders. All this is happening to fulfill what was written in their law. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 4. He's applying to himself. He says, I knew this was going to happen. He says, I'm telling you this now because I know what's going to happen. This is all part of God's sovereign plan. He's in control. He's good. If you're willing to follow him, you're going to testify to them. Now think. What's, what's the most powerful testimony someone can give? Is it signs and wonders and healings and all that sort of thing? And that stuff's pretty cool. It's something much more common in every day. It's how you suffer. It's how you suffer. What is your testimony when you're suffering, when you're being persecuted? Is God still good? Do you still trust him? And if you've ever seen someone suffering and testifying to God's goodness, there's nothing more beautiful. There's nothing more powerful because they really do believe it. So you and I are called to give testimony to who Jesus is in our lives. What will your testimony be? What is it now? What will it be when things get harder? When we really have to make some hard decisions. This is, of course, what Jesus promised. We just read Matthew 5.10 here. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice. Rejoice in that day and be glad. Why? For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The world's been going on a long time. Ultimately, it's not about what it costs you, but what will you gain? And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is yours. And he says, rejoice. Your reward is great in heaven. So Jesus says to him, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. It hates you because you don't belong to the world anymore. And we're called to live lives that are not of the world, but are in the world. And we're called to testify in the midst of suffering and persecution, and even the good times, that all praise and glories go to God. So I ask you, are you ready to be hated by the world? Are you ready to follow Jesus at any cost, at all cost? Are you willing to fix your eyes not on the things of this world, but on the age to come, and testify to the goodness of God. You can go ahead and stand, worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to pray for us, and then we will continue to respond through worship. Father, we thank you.
We do thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the living hope, Lord. Thank you for the testimony. And God, we pray that our lives would be a living testimony to your goodness every day, and that you'd give us opportunities to share, to love on people, to love one another, Lord. And I pray for courage for this church, for the church in America, Lord, that we'd be ready and prepared for the gathering storm, Lord. That we'd come to know what it means to really depend on you for everything. And God, we trust you as the one who will provide, the one who loves us and will continue to love us and walk with us. You've said you will never leave us or forsake us, Lord. And so we love you. We praise you. We give all the glory to you. And we just thank you for who you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And by your spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.